Let's get into this morning's sermon, um, and hopefully it's fun for you as well. Man, week eight of the Joseph series, and it's been so good. It's been, um, I mean, every week I feel like it's a revelation, and this, this story is so deep and so rich. And the truth be told, we could end the series on Joseph and just start over again and probably get a whole new series on it. That's how deep his, his story is. And this morning is no different. And I'm really excited, really expectant about what God is going to do this morning. So let's pick it up in Genesis chapter 41, starting in verse 47. This is after Joseph has, just put some context to it, after Joseph has, um, you know, interpreted Pharaoh's dreams and, and what has happened is there's going to be seven years of plenty and there's going to be seven years of famine, okay? And so this is what happens. The seven years of plenty are here. And it says this in verse 47, as predicted for seven years, the land produced bumper crops. During those years, Joseph gathered all the crops grown in Egypt and stored the grain from the surrounding fields in the cities. He piled up huge amounts of grain like sand on the seashore. Finally, he stopped keeping records because there was too much to measure. During this time before the first of the famine years, two sons were born to Joseph and his wife, Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar, the priest of On. Okay, so let's stop there for a second. And truth be told, this right here could be a sermon in and of itself. I just want to touch on it this morning because I believe there's other things that we need to get to. But I do want to take notice of this right here because it's such an important lesson to learn. What is happening in Egypt right now is, is listen, there is a provision that God is pouring on them and he is pouring it on them, all right? And when God provides, it, 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 it doesn't just rain. It does pour in our lives. And there are those moments when we just feel the presence of God all the time in everything that we do. You know, like when you open the Bible and the words just jump out on, uh, from the page. You're like, oh my goodness, I didn't know this was in here. And every worship song resonates. And you just, I mean, it's like no matter what you do, you, it's just God is moving so big in your own life and in those Odin times. And it's just, he's pouring out all these things on your life. And so in those seasons, we need to ask ourselves, what are we doing in those moments? Are we wasting it? Or are we being like Joseph here and are we storing up these things for when that other season inevitably comes? That season of famine. And I would love to say, and it's just talking out of my own experience. I would love to say that every time I open the Bible, it's light shines down, the heavens part, oh, revelation of something brand new. Uh, it doesn't happen all the time, right? And there's stretches of time where I'm going, God, like this is a foreign language to me. I'm not getting anything. As a matter of fact, the only reason I'm really reading is because just to be obedient to you. But in terms of like it actually affecting my day to day right now, I got to say it's really not happening. But that's why we have those times that do jump off the page. And so what we do with those is we do just like Joseph and we store those things in our heart. And, and listen, my prayer and my hope is not that we come here on Sundays and wow, great worship, great sermon. That was really inspiring. And then we go about our day and our week. And by next Sunday, we've already forgotten what the Sunday was before. I'm encouraging you. And I, I, I want to just say this. Listen, it's okay to re-listen to a sermon. It is. It's okay to open your Bible and reread what was said and preached on on that Sunday. I believe God right now is pouring things on the beaches chapel. What are we doing with it? What are we doing with it? We need to be storing it up into our hearts so that when the seven years of famine come, we're not sitting there going, God, I got nothing for this. 
But instead, we can, make those depo- we, can, we can take from those deposits from the good seven years and say, you know what? I can sustain through this because I have stored up Jesus in me when he was pouring things out on me. And I can go back and look in the Bible and read the notes that I wrote, say, oh yeah, that's right. So when I had the revelation then, it is now a revelation for me again now. So what are we doing with it? Church, I'm asking you personally, what are you doing with the time right now? What are you doing with this outpouring of the Holy Spirit here at Beaches Chapel in your lives, in your heart? Because we need to be storing it up. It says in Matthew 6, don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be. So when God is pouring out things into our lives and into our hearts and into our minds, when we store those things in our heart, then we have something. But if we take those times, maybe it's, a, it's financial gain or, or it's, it's relationally, whatever. And we just, listen, I'll be honest with y'all. Working in ministry, we have people come across our path all the time that are struggling and they become desperate for Jesus. They're in church, they're on their knees, they're crying out to the Lord. And we walk, walk with them in it. And then they get delivered. They come out of that season and it's like, where'd they go? You know, where, what happened? Listen, those moments where, we, where, where, the, where, the, where the provisions of God are being poured out are so important. And a lot of times we waste them. But it's what's stored up in our heart that will get us through that next season. Not what kind of car is parked in our driveway. That's what it's about. And Joseph knew that. And listen, it was, and, and just consider this for a second. It says that the, the grain was like sand on the seashore. That was 20% of the provision that God was, was pouring out on Egypt. That was just 20%. Joseph could have easily just said, hey, we're good. You know, we don't need to worry about this anymore. But he continued on to store up and store up and be obedient and be obedient. And that's where his treasure was, was he was putting, he was putting that storage away because he knew. And you might say, well, James, you know, God told him there was going to be seven years of famine. So he knew to do that. Listen, are we all that naive to think that we're never going to have any seven years of famine in our own life? It's full of ups and downs. So we need to be preparing. And I'm not trying to be a negative Nancy. It's just life. Jesus said it himself. We need to be students of the word and get in there. So when things are rich, we have something to draw from when it's not so rich. Okay, that was just the aside for this morning. All right. <clears throat> Let's continue on now. And this is, really, this is really the meat of everything this morning. I want, I, want to, I want to preface all this before we even get into it and just say this. I have very high expectations for what God is going to do here this morning. I believe he's going to break chains. I believe there's going to be freedom and there's going to be deliverance this morning. I'm putting it out there before we even get started. But here's the thing, y'all. It requires something of us. As we continue on this morning, it requires us to be honest with ourselves. I would even say to be vulnerable this morning and to really have ears to hear what God wants to say. And there's a chance that things could get our, our heart and things could get kind of messed up a little bit this morning and all sorts of emotions coming. But that's okay. That's okay. Because God wants to break chains this morning. He wants to break chains. And will you listen? Will you listen to what he has to say this morning? Because it continues on. And here's what I love before we even do get any more. As, as this is just the goodness of God. You know, when we go back to those verses we just read. God was pouring out just 
grain and, and vegetation, and, and I think the animals were really fat, so they were having good steaks and all those things in those seven years. And that was for all of Egypt. But it also says that specific to Joseph, if we go back to verse 30, it says, During this time, before the first of the famine years, two sons were born to Joseph and his wife, as seen at the daughter of Potiphar, the priest of On. In that time of plenty, God just didn't give Egypt all this food, but he singled out Joseph and he gave him a family. How much do you think that meant to Joseph with his history to be separated from his family? God says, you know what? This isn't just about Egypt, Joseph. This is about you. And I'm going to give you two sons and I'm going to give you a wife. And it goes on to say in verse 51, here it is, y'all. This is the meat of this morning. It says, Joseph named his older son Manasseh, for he said, God has made me forget all my troubles and everyone in my father's family. Joseph named his second son Ephraim, for he said, God has made me fruitful in this land of my grief. I'll be honest with y'all. When I teach this in, my, in the Bible class at the school, I've just kind of skim over this as like a little factoid. Okay, here's Joseph's sons and these are their names and let's keep on with the story. But as I was reading through this week and reading commentaries, I'm like, holy smokes, there is so much to this right here. Because if we see, y'all, there is an order to fruitfulness in our lives. There is a process to being fruitful in our lives. And we see that in how Joseph names his sons. And the first son, the first son, he names Manasseh. For he said, listen to what it means. God has made me forget, first of all, all my troubles and everyone, everyone in my father's family. Wow. Wow. What he's saying here is God has put before me the chance to let go and to forgive and forget those in my life who have caused me harm. And then I'll be fruitful. That's a lot. And the verbiage there is so important. Not, I was able to forget some of my family. Because, you know, Joseph had ten, these 10 brothers. They all hated him. But I have to think that there was some that hated him more than others. And I think there might have been some brothers that were a little easier to forget and forgive and let go of than others, right? There was only a couple that were the ringleaders of putting him in the cistern and selling him to the, to the Ishmaelites as a slave. I think the others were just along, yeah, sure, that sounds good. But what the Bible says is God had him forget and forgive and let go of all of them. Every single one. I can't imagine what that must have been like, but you know what? I believe that when he was a slave in Potiphar's house, when he was a prison in that prison, he was a prisoner in that prison. Those 13 years was a time for Joseph to be able to let go of the hurts, the deep wounds that his family caused him. And then he's able to profess while in Egypt that God has made me forget my family and the hurts. And then it says this. It says that God, the second son, Ephraim, has made me fruitful. And this is the important part. We'll get to this in a few minutes. In the land of my grief. He was fruitful in the land of his grief. Listen to what Mark chapter 11 says, what Jesus talks about this. He says, uh, then Jesus said to his disciples, verse 22, 
Have faith in God. Boom, right off the bat. It's like he's setting the table. Look, what I'm about to tell you is big. So before we get into any of it, have faith in God. You have a challenge in front of you. You have someone that you're just wrestling with, that you have such hurts and pains and, and scars from people in your life. Jesus begins by saying, have faith in God. Why? Because we can't do it ourselves. We like to hold on to our grudges. We like to hold on to our offense. And we have to have faith in God to say, here it is. Here it is. I'm giving you these hurts. I'm giving you these offenses. They're yours now. And we like to hold on to them for a couple reasons. To protect ourselves. Because we don't like to expose our own hurt. But also because as long as we're holding on to those hurts and those offenses, we feel superior to the people that have offended us. We feel now like if I hold on to this, then I have something over you because you did this to me. And so even though we might not realize that what we're actually feeling is a superiority over them, you did this and I didn't, I'm better than you. And what we have to do is have faith in the Lord to let those things go and say, here it is, Lord, I'm giving it to you. And tomorrow, when those creep up again, I'm giving them to you. And when I'm a slave in Potiphar's house, I'm giving them to you. And when I'm reminded every day of what they did, I'm giving them to you. And when I'm treated unfairly and thrown into prison for a crime I didn't commit, I'm giving them to you. I have faith in you, God, that you are going to heal me and that you're going to restore my heart to these people. But I have to have faith in you to do so. And so that's what Jesus says as he begins this. And then it says in verse 23, I tell you the truth. You can say to this mountain, may you be lifted up and thrown into the sea. And it will happen. But you must really believe it will happen and have no doubt in your heart. I tell you, you can pray for anything. And if you believe that you've received it, it will be yours. But when you are praying, first... Forgive anyone you are holding a grudge against so that your Father in heaven will forgive your sins too. This might be the biggest caveat in the entire Bible. All right, I haven't done a study on it, but I'm just thinking if Jesus is saying, hey, check this out. If you pray and you believe and you have faith, you can move a mountain, but you gotta forgive people first. Wait a second. Like, do you understand y'all here it is out of Jesus's mouth himself, the order of fruitfulness in our lives. We can't hold on to grudges and, go, and, can, and expect to be fruitful. Jesus is saying, look, check this out. This is the power that you have. If you have this faith in me, you won't believe the things that you can do, but it's not gonna happen if you walk around with unforgiveness in your heart. That is how heavy unforgiveness, bitterness, and grudges are to Jesus. The power that is at our fingertips. And I'm not talking, y'all, about going in and saying, Go, Lord Jesus, let me win the lottery today. I have faith that I'm going to do it. I'm talking about walking in him and understanding the things that he's put on your heart. But you have to, you have to forgive those who have hurt you. And I believe 100% that there are people in this room this morning, those are people watching online, that would honestly say, it would be easier right now for me to move a mountain than it would be to forgive this person in my life. It would be easier because of what they did. And I don't know if I can. Well, let's remember what Jesus started with. Have faith in God. Listen to what Paul says here. This is, this is amazing to me. Philippians 3, 13. 
He says, no, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus, listen to this, on this one thing. I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. That was Paul's focus. And I think for Paul, it's twofold. And for us, many in here, it's probably twofold as well. Because if you read the letters of Paul, man, people hurt him. He was abused in in all sorts of ways. Churches that he invested in hurt him. You know what he he likens being an apostle at that time to? By the way, if you want to go into ministry, just listen to this. (laughs) He says being an apostle is like being a prisoner of war and, and being in a cage at the end of a victory parade. That's how he was treated. And he's saying, you know what? I have to focus on not what was done to me, but what lies ahead. And not only that, but I believe for Paul, he had to forget about the past of his own doings as well. And I believe for some of us, our grudge might not be against someone else. We might be holding a grudge against ourselves, saying, I can't let go of the things that I did. And I can't forgive myself. And this grudge that I hold is against me. And I keep beating myself up and beating myself up. And I can't move on with what the Lord has for me. I don't see fruit in my life because I haven't let it go. Paul's saying, look, focus on this one thing, not what was, was, but what lies ahead. That's what it's about. Look, we all make mistakes. I would, I would, I would hope and believe that none of us are who we were a year ago or six months ago. We are all a work in progress. So we can't spend our time looking backwards. You know, here's the thing. If you've, if you've, you can try this if you want. If you've ever been running, it is an incredibly unnatural position to run this way and look backwards at the same time. You practically can't do it. If you do, chances are you're going to get offline. You're going to get off the course that you were on. You're going to start veering one way or the other, or you're going to trip and fall. But it's just, it's not a natural thing. We are not physically, think about this, we're not physically designed to be able to go this way while looking this way. The same is true with our spiritual walk. Focus on what is ahead, forgetting what was in the past. That's what Jesus said, and that's what Paul himself says. If you want to be fruitful, you can't look backwards. This is right here is amazing. In his book, The Great Divorce, C.S. Lewis described hell as a place where no one forgets anything, remembering every slight, every cruel exchange of words, every wrong ever done to them, and everybody is utterly unforgiving. But in heaven, all things are put away because all things have become new. Wow, what a description. In hell, no one forgets anything. All of everybody there has a record of wrongdoing. You said this to me, you said this to me, you said this to me, you said this to me. And that is hell. Not letting go of things. The Bible says that, that, that love holds no records of wrong. Well, hate holds every record of wrong. And that is hell. So let me take it a step further from C.S. Lewis and say this. If you then are walking around with this list of wrongdoing in your heart, you are living a hellish life. That is not what the Lord had in mind for us. And so what he wants to do for all of us 
this morning included, for many of us in here, is to not have us live a hellish life, but to be set free so everything is made new. And I believe it. There are chains that are going to be broken this morning from you living a hellish life. And that's not to, to say that that's your fault. You've been doing it. You don't even know it. But that's not life. Jesus doesn't tell us to forgive other people first, to torture us. It's because he wants us to be set free. He does not want a hellish life for us. He does not want us walking around with his list of things that people have done to us. He wants us to be set free. He wants us to let go of those things. Will you? God made Joseph fruitful while he was in the land of his grief. This is what Jesus has to say about being fruitful. All this stuff ties together. In John chapter 15, Jesus says, I am the true grapevine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit, and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit, so they will produce even more. You have already been pruned and purified by the message I have given you. And then he says in verse 4, Remain in me, and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine. And you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Here's the thing, y'all. You, you might be walking around and, and there's, there's been fruit in your life. But what we see here is Jesus is not satisfied with that bit of fruit. He wants more from you. He wants you to be more fruitful. And how we do that, how that fruit comes, is allowing him to prune us. All right? And that means dying to ourselves and remaining in Jesus and saying, I'm going to let go of this hurt that I've been holding on to for so long, God. And I'm going to give it to you. And if I have to give it to you later today, I will. And I have to give it to you later on this week, I will. Because I want to surrender to you. I want to remain in you so that you can continue to get those things off of me and I can have more fruit. Jesus is never settled. We look at a basket of fruit and think, that's it. That's all. That's, that must be it. It's full. It's like, no, there's more baskets. You don't even know where they're at. I want to put more fruit in those for you and more. Look, this is a very hard thing. I get it. But that's the pruning. That's the chains breaking. That's the freedom coming. That's us being honest and vulnerable and saying, all right, God, all right, I'm here and you're right. I've been holding on to this and I'm having faith in you that you're going to deliver me from it and it's going to take me giving it to you. So I'm going to remain in you and I'm not going to remain in me and my own flesh anymore. You might be saying, but James, you don't understand. You don't, I, I hear what you're saying, but you don't understand the depths of my hurt. You don't understand the history. You don't understand this person and what they did to me and everything that I did for them. And the list goes on and on. And you know what? You're right. I don't understand. And I never will because I've never walked in your shoes. I've never lived that history. But I know this. Jesus wants more for you than for you to live your life with a grudge and with bitterness, and with hate, trying to go forward, but really looking backwards. He wants more for you. I want to look at the alternative, too, of what not giving up those grudges looks like, because that is very important. And it just so happens to be found with Joseph's family. And so I th this is really an interesting point in the story of Joseph, because once Joseph is sold into slavery, 
We don't really hear much about his family anymore. The, the story is all about Joseph in Potiphar's house and in prison, and then, in, and then he's second in command of all of Egypt. And that's how cha uh, chapter 41 of Genesis ends. But what we forget is that in those, it's been now 20 years from when Joseph's family sold him into slavery to when we read about them again. 20 years has passed. In those 20 years, they have still been living life, all right? They didn't just freeze while Joseph's life continues and then they go back to him. Like, their families have grown. There's kids that have been born. Family dynamics are still there. All these things. And we, we go, we, all of a sudden, we jump back into the, uh, the life of this family 20 years later. And this is what it says in Genesis 42, starting in verse 1. It says, when Jacob heard, that's the dad, when Jacob heard that grain was available in Egypt, he said to his sons, why are you standing around looking at one another? I have heard there is grain in Egypt. Go down there and buy enough grain to keep us alive. Otherwise, we'll die. Right? Man, what is just a great dad, you know? <laughs> Such a nice man. Like, you know, when I read this, uh, and what I take out of it is he's basically calling them stupid. All right? He's like, what are y'all doing looking around? Hello, we're dying. There's grain in Egypt. You can go. But there's more to it than that. And I think that is definitely an element of it. Right? That he's just like, what are y'all doing? Are y'all good for anything? That's, that's coming from, from Jacob. But from, from the brothers, the sons of Jacob, I, I read this comment, I thought it was so interesting. It said they were looking at each other because of the word Egypt. Because every time that Jacob said the word Egypt, it reminded them that they had sold Joseph into slavery and he was more than likely in Egypt. And so every time that they heard that word, it was like a trigger word. And it brought up all these things, all these emotions, maybe failures and guilt and shame, every, just because of one single word. But you know what? That's what unforgiveness and grudges and bitterness does for us. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but I think there's many of us that have a trigger word in our own life. That when you hear it, it's, it, just, it just changes your whole mentality, your whole outlook on things. And the word Egypt was that for them. So when he's saying, hey, there's grain in Egypt. Why are you looking? Because they're like, I don't want to go to Egypt. All that's going to do is remind us of what we did. It's going to remind us that we acted on our hatred. We acted on our unforgiveness. We acted on our grudge. 20 years of this, y'all. 20 years of feeling like this. And this is what happens. I'll have the band come on up as I, as, I, as I finish this. But listen to what happens here in verse 3 as it continues. So Joseph's 10 older brothers went down to Egypt to buy grain. But Jacob wouldn't let Joseph's younger brother Benjamin go with them for fear some harm might come to him. So Jacob's sons arrived in Egypt along with others to buy food for the famine was in Canaan as well. So what we see here, what we see here is 20 years in nothing has changed. Jacob says, listen, y'all go, you 10 go, but Benjamin's going to stay because I love him the most. And if anything were to happen to him, I'd be devastated. Y'all can go, you know, you're, you're dispensable. You're okay. You, I'm, I'll be all right if something happens to you. Not a problem. But this one needs to stay. 20 years, nothing's changed. And here's the thing that we need to understand when it comes to unforgiveness and holding grudges and all these things. When we operate in the devil's schemes, which unforgiveness is, it never, ever, ever, never, ever, ever, never, 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 ever, never, ever works out the way that we think. Ever. Not one time 
And, be, and here's the reason why. Because as the devil is whispering into our ears all these things that this person has done, reminding us of this and that and the other, and whatever it might be, saying, you, you know, with your words, destroy them here and destroy them this and that and all that good stuff. At the same time, he's destroying us as well. Because as much as hurt that we might have towards someone else, he despises us. He wants to steal, kill, and destroy us. And so anytime that we, we take that step and operate in the devil's schemes, just like the brothers did with Joseph, it never turns out the way that we think. If we just get rid of Joseph, guys, then, then dad will start looking at us. He'll start paying attention to us. He'll start loving us and, and we'll replace Joseph. And it'll be great. Yeah, he'll mourn him for a little bit, but after a little while, he'll start giving us some attention. 20 years go by. Y'all go to Egypt. It's okay if, if you die, as long as I have Benjamin. Nothing changed. You know what changed? 20 years of guilt and shame and unforgiveness that ruined their lives for 20 years to the point where if they heard the word Egypt, it killed them. God wants more for you. He wants you to be set free. He doesn't want you to have trigger words in your heart anymore. He doesn't want you walking around with this weight, this unforgiveness, this, these grudges. But you have to approach him and say, here they are. And it's gonna take some time, but that's okay because God is faithful and he will deliver you from those hurts and you will get to a place where you can be like Joseph and say, God has made me forget all my troubles and everyone in my life that has hurt me. And then God has made me fruitful. He's made you fruitful. He's got fruit for you that you don't even see that he wants to give you. That is how the Lord operates. He's come to give you life and life to the full, not a hellish life where we hold all sorts of records of wrongs against people that, by the way, Jesus loves just as much as you, who died for just like he died for you. He wants to set you free. And that doesn't mean that you become best friends with that person tomorrow. It just means that you're able to let go of those hurts. Those scars and those open wounds can start healing again and you can get on with your own life, but don't let someone else's hurt dictate your own life. Because as important as that hurt might be in your own life, your heart to Jesus is way more important. So I'm asking of you all this morning to be honest and to be vulnerable and to respond to this if you need to, if that's you, if you've been, if you've been a prisoner of bitterness, a prisoner of hurt, this is the time so that you can say, just like Joseph did, God was faithful and he delivered me. So I want everyone to stand up. I'm asking the elders, pastors to come up and we're gonna have a time of prayer. And here's the thing, you don't need to tell us your whole story. Frankly, we don't have time for it. Um, this is not a counseling session, okay? I'm not trying, that wasn't a joke. I'm just saying like, we just want to agree with you in prayer. We want to agree with you and believe that you are set free this morning. I know it might be hard, but I'm telling you right now, nobody in here cares. But I, I want to open it up too. If you, if you need prayer for anything else, if you need prayer for healing, 
And especially if you don't know this Jesus that we're talking about, that died on the cross for you to set you free from every, every burden, every care of trying to do things on your own, which the world loves to say is our responsibility to do. You can meet him this morning. It will change your life. Father, thank you so much. Thank you, Lord, that there's more for us and that you want to set us free. God, I pray right now for those that are struggling with hurts, God. Deep scars, God, that you would set them free this morning. In Jesus' name, help them, Lord, to be able to let go and give those things to you every single day. And God, I thank you, Lord, that you will deliver each and every one of us that are struggling in that area. You're faithful to do so. You wouldn't command us to forgive others if there wasn't a work to be done in it. Thank you, Lord. We just honor you this morning. We thank you. You're just so good. You're so good. Amen.